0: everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast. I am Chris Turner. I am your host, and I'm glad to have you back on a day later. Today is July 22nd, 2022, and I hope you enjoyed yesterday's episode. Um, The idea of love and control uh, is an interesting concept, and even though it seemed like we kind of got off target there for a little while when we went down the uh, rabbit hole, speaking of Nietzsche and the evolution of the human experience, It really did tie back together well at the end um, in terms of releasing control, uh, in terms of letting go of uh, the idea that we need to do something externally to fix the world, right? Something like that. So, hope you enjoyed it. Um, But I want to kind of keep going on that. I talked a little bit yesterday about, and in the previous episode, about morality. Uh, And we kind of keyed on it a little bit, talking about Nietzsche. But I wanted to um, dive a little bit into morality, the idea of morality. And I want to pull it apart and kind of see what's unfounded uh, inside of morality itself, uh, the way we conceive of morality. Um, I don't believe... I've I've come to the conclusion, just off the bat, and I'll obviously get into explaining this, but I've come to the conclusion over the last couple of years that morality and the way that we conceive of it in the modern world doesn't exist truly. Now on the surface, that might might seem kind of crazy, but we'll get into it, right? Uh, that being said, I digress. Let's get into our reading for the day. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pull a page or two out of the Buddha book like we have been doing. The Sayings of the Buddha, Reflections for Every Day by William Ray. I'm going to go ahead and intuitively pick Two pages here. Give me a couple seconds. What do we need to see? Okay. Looks like today we have page 76 and page 77. Page 76. Him the unprovocable, him the unclouded mind, freed of all lustfulness void of all indolence, guide of those on the brink, his master of birth and death. Him the unprovocable. him the unclouded mind, freed of all lustfulness, void of all indolence, guide of those on the brink, his master of birth and death. So this speaks of um, being something that's constant, right? Being unprovocable, unclouded, having an unclouded mind and free from lustfulness. So this speaks of what we were talking about yesterday, of being free of actually the need to control and then also free of the things externally that would control you. It's an odd dynamic, right? As you let go of feeling like you need to control things, the things externally that you feel like you're controlled by go away. It's interesting, right? The world is a reflection of you. But as we get through this kind of illusion of control, we start to realize that um, we are the masters of our own fate, right? Moving on to page 77. This one goes These are my sons, this is my wealth. In this way, the fool troubles himself. He is not the owner of himself. How much less of his sons and his wealth? Hmm. That one's confusing. Let me read it again. These are my sons. This is my wealth. In this way, the fool troubles himself. He is not the owner of himself. How much less of his sons and his wealth? <laughs> Okay, I think I got it the second time. I don't know if you guys did, right? But from what I'm what I'm getting from that is, um, the first the first two lines are a statement. The fool they're referring to is saying, "These are my sons, and this is my wealth. These are the things that I have. This is me." You know, the sons are representations of the fool, the the money, the things, the house, the car. You know, all the things, the things. These are me, and this says the fool troubles himself causes himself problems because he doesn't own himself and because you don't own yourself you don't own anything else you know we are not um, finite beings uh, the world isn't finite and the universe isn't finite so there's no way in which we can own something like that this is mine even me <laughs> you know because where did you come from? Where did you come from? Do you know? And if you don't know what you are, then how could you really own yourself or your experience? So, those were interesting, a little different to start off start off the day here. I'm going to go ahead and pull a uh, oracle card for us. We didn't do an oracle card yesterday, so let's do an oracle card today and see what we get. Uh, angels, ancestors, and guides, please be with Please be with me now. Guide me to the cards that we need to see, the advice we need to hear. Bear with me guys, I'm just shuffling, seeing if I can find a card. Seeing which card wants to pop out. Hmm. Interesting. The card we have for today, the oracle card we have from Angels and Ancestors Oracle Cards is the card of the sage, interestingly enough, which for those of you who have been listening to my podcast for some time, uh, I have picked sage as a pseudonym of mine uh, to go by when I'm doing things like tarot uh, and spiritual uh, spiritual work. But this is the card of the sage. The sage is a term that was... Used to describe uh, spiritual masters of the past, uh, ph- philosophers tended to describe um, other philosophers, past philosophers, as the sages, right? So thinkers, um, people that are connected high to the, to the divine and deliver messages, um, kind of intermediaries between the 5D and the 3D kind of a thing. This this card is beautiful. It has a an older gentleman um, dressed in kind of what looks like Indian garb. Uh, with a long beard and he's riding on a leaf with a peacock feather. You know, and, and he's sitting under a tree, similar to the card that we saw yesterday, the Four of Cups. Except in this one, there's no on his face there's a look of peace. And happiness and contentment. And he's looking right at you. Kind of in a way like tempting you to ask, what are you writing? You know? Um, content working on whatever it is he's working on the card says sage be devoted and committed right so um he's writing on a leaf which the leaf would usually represents the earth and the physical world right so um the way i'm the way i'm seeing it is is that this is representative of, of being devoted and committed to the things that you've established in this world that you care about um delivering the messages that are true to you, right? Um, Sages take things that are from the spiritual world and they translate them into a physical, into the physical, literally through speech, kind of like what I'm doing right now, right? So before me speaking right now, there was no message to be heard. You have to be devoted and committed to yourself, your internal dialogue and your belief in yourself and your aspirations so that you can translate whatever it is that you're getting in the 5D or in the the dream world or, you know, the higher realms into the physical world. And the way you do that is literally through speaking it into being. Language is exceedingly powerful. It's magic. Language is magic. Jordan Peterson talks about this. But one of the best ways you can start to actualize yourself and change your life is to start speaking to yourself properly, out loud. Right? Be kind to yourself. Allow yourself to make mistakes. This card also speaks of maintaining a certain type of peace and calm and silence right uh, yesterday and the day before all of these cards have been speaking about regeneration rejuvenation right um, renewal so this is a this is a time to be connecting to the higher realms um, if you're joining me every day here then you know we're going on a journey together and we're being guided together to connect to the same energy it's not different what you connect to is not gonna be different within what I connect to we all go to the same place when we simplify when we meditate <clears throat> Right, it's interesting. Once you start to do spiritual work, you'll find that you'll have a lot more synchronicity in your life, where people say things that you were just thinking about, or numbers pop up that are referencing things that you were just thinking about, or, or uh, you know, you have deja vu more often, things like this. And the reason I think that happens isn't, you know, for a lot of the stereotypical, it, there's not an easy way to describe it except for that we're tuning into the same thing. Uh, the other day, I was talking to a friend on the phone. I hadn't talked to this friend in probably three years, or two two years, maybe two years, a couple of years, and he's been going through similar kind of uh, developments, you know, spiritual developments for the last couple years. And so, um, called each other up and kind of started to get caught up. and We're talking on the phone, and it's not going to be it's not going to seem as relevant to you guys um, because you know the it's 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 an anecdote of my anecdote of my life, but. um the, the figure of Peter Pan has always been, uh, especially recently, very significant to me. Important to me, something like a representation of my, um, the way I view my higher self, right? Um, when I when I try to picture myself in the higher realm, without all of the, without all of the complications of the physical world, you know, like I feel I feel internally like a Peter Pan type figure, like a very childlike figure that kind of wants to spread the joy and love that he feels inside. You know, doesn't want to grow up in a way. Why should we grow up? Uh, and sorry for the phone going off there in the background if you can hear that. Um, but because uh, it was so special to me, um, I didn't expect when I was talking on the phone to my friend for him to bring up Peter Pan in a context of spirituality. Um, we were talking and talking about a specific thing and then all of a sudden he's like, he, he literally told me effectively, hey Chris, you know like, um, he brought up Peter Pan in the context of me without me saying anything and it was one of those moments where i was like hit like what the hell Uh, i told him i was like dude you're 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 keen on something right here because this is very significant to me important to me especially recently uh and i think the way that that stuff happens is 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 through what i was talking about through like the simplification um you know when you go inward you do it it does get simpler and i do think that there's is a a general message that is out there that you can tap into that you know if you look at um spiritual beings throughout the world if you tune into tarot readers or maybe you listen to you know you go to a reiki healer whatever it is you know you you go into the spiritual world you'll see that they're all tuning into a similar message at the same time and that message adjusts over time (laughs) right so um Anyway, this speaks to a certain divine quality. So sage is the energy, uh, the oracle card that we're dealing with today. So sit on that. The sage would have you sit on that, have you chew on that idea, whatever idea it is you're going over in your head, whatever stress you have, whatever. Maybe it is whatever idea you've been having for a while that you've been holding in your head. It might be a good day to kind of journal or get it out, you know, make it real in some way speak it out into being if it's just, even if it's as simple as like even wanting to do something and you say out loud like yeah I want to do this instead of just constantly imagining it in your head or daydreaming just saying I'm going to do this today I'm going to do this or today I'm going to start the process of doing this you're you're alchemizing you're you're performing a certain type of magic and manifestation by speaking it into being right it's kind of what the wand represents In in the tarot, the wands, or like in Harry Potter, right? You see, the the wand is the thing that casts the magic. Right, your language and your perception is kind of the thing that acts as a wand. You know, your attention and where you direct your energy. And the, you know, that's that's why that's why when when you you people flip a wand, they say abracadabra. You know, that word is very powerful people use it in a joking manner, but the word abracadabra is a magic word it's been used as such throughout history just like amen and shalom namaste i'm gonna pull uh a tarot card here sorry guys i'm getting a, I'm, I'm in a very calm state right now i that card got me hit me pretty intensely so let's go ahead and pull a tarot card or two for you as well what tarot cards do we need to see today what more guidance do we need angels and sisters what energies are we going to be dealing with today What guidance do we need? Hmm, Okay. All right, so we have two cards today, two tarot cards. This is from the Angel Wisdom Tarot deck uh, by Radley Valentine. Again, these decks—I um, have them included. The names and the authors in the show description, and they're available on Amazon. If you'd like to purchase them on Amazon, they're really beautiful decks. I love them, especially this Angel Wisdom deck. It has all the descriptions. It's really easy. If you want to learn, uh, it kind of helps you learn the cards and their meanings. So we have got two uh, two cards here. We have the Prince of Fire, the Prince of Wands, and we have the Two of Swords. So the Prince of Wands, the Prince of Fire. Fire is a uh, passionate element, right? It represents the passions, and so do the wands, right? Um, I was just talking about wands as being a manifester, right? The thing that manifests. So it's the thing that directs your energy, right? Uh, and in this picture, it has a young man, kind of looks like a young teenager, holding a big staff with fire, a staff that's on fire on top. And behind him is a, a dragon, a magic dragon with wings. And the, it's like his companion, right? And they're standing under a tree. And this tree seems to be significant. Every card we pull, guys, in the last couple of days, we're getting a tree. Everything's happening under a tree. What does the tree represent? Let's look. Let's look that up. What does a tree represent spiritually? Is there something there? What does? Well, I know it represents life to some degree. Represent spiritually. Curious. Let's see what we got here. But I know that the tree, like the tree of life, is representative of um, the higher and the lower realms, connected, in kind of like the tree, the as above, so below concept, and then also um, just life in general, like. Um, the symbiotic process of life. That's that's how I've always interpreted the tree. But here just on a quick Google search, it says, The ancient symbol of the tree has been found to represent physical and spiritual nourishment, transformation and liberation, union and fertility. Often seen as a symbol of femi- femininity due to its long branches and flowing leaves, the trunk is seen as masculine. Okay. So the leaves are seen as the more feminine aspect and the trunk is more masculine. Um, but this seems like it fits in nicely with what we've been picking up energetically right that this is a time of nourishment and transformation excuse me liberation uh, from the old ideas right what what cards did we pull a couple days ago regeneration Um, you know is essentially a death card release Uh, that's that's what that liberation is right but in that liberation is is there's a there's a a nourishing of the new uh, a birthing of the new Uh, and that's what this um, card speaks of to some degree, but it also speaks of having enthusiasm in those passions being enthusiastic, optimistic, creative, impatient to some degree, and, um, expecting news of exciting opportunities. So you may have been uh, feeling a little stagnant lately, or we have been in kind of this autumn season, right? Maybe you're feeling, um, that the slowness or kind of the lack of, um, opportunities may be keeping you down or feeling like there's, uh, nothing to focus on to pull you out of the place you're in. But, um, this card speaks of there being new opportunities in front of you today or whenever you're listening to this, right? Um, that there's going to be a new opportunity presenting itself soon and, uh, that it'll allow you to become more creative. Um, it'll allow you to express yourself creatively, kind of manifest something that you've been uh, desiring for a while. Um, and this process will be kind of, uh, this will help you fuel those passions. So as you create something that's passionate, as you create something that's you, uniquely you, you'll d- d- develop a bigger fire inside to create more of that, more things that are you, right? So um, the only advice that this card would speak of is, is to, to finish that process. You know, if you feel passionate about something, bring it home, right? And then the other card we have today is the Two of Swords, which the two of swords um, usually represents swords uh, in this deck is repre- it's it's representative of the mind right of thoughts, and uh, it's in- interesting because the two of swords has a on this card it has a, a woman she's standing in front of water which water usually represents emotions, but the water is at her back she's not looking at the water so this speaks of possibly being a little shut down to your emotions or not wanting to tap into the emotional side of yourself and uh, she's holding two swords in front of her. Crossed right, forming an X, um, and it she, there's this feeling when you look at the card that she's stuck, right? She's at a crossroads. This card kind of represents crossroads, literally with an X, um, visually signifying it. And so, the Two of Swords on the cards is being an unable or unwilling to make a decision. Uh, follow your own heart rather than trying to make others happy and pretending there is no problem or over analyzing a situation. So, the way that this card's usually described to me. Um, the way I usually interpret it for other people is, is as it said, like you're, in order for you to recognize that you're, um, you're not trapped, you'd have to be able to look uh, from a different perspective than what you're looking through right now, right? Uh, the two of swords generally talks about feeling trapped, but not being trapped, right? It's just a process of being presented a decision. Sometimes when you're presented a decision, decision makes you feel like you're being, um, if you don't want to make the decision, you'll feel trapped because you can't go forward unless you make it. Right. It's kind of like pay the pay the toll or you don't get to go by. So when you don't pay the toll of like making the decision, you get stuck at the crossroads, you know what I mean? And then you'll start to feel slowly like you're degrading or like you're not going anywhere or you're stagnating. So this card speaks of it's time to make a decision. Right, and when you combine these two together, when I take the um, the Prince of Fire, the Prince of Wands, and I take the Two of Swords together, then it means um, it's time to make a decision in regards to what you've been passionate about, what you've been ignoring that would fulfill you emotionally. This this woman is is looking away from the water, away from her emotions, uh, whereas the young man is holding his wand and ready to cast that passion out into the world. Right, so in order to do that, you have to recognize you have emotion to draw on to cast that out right uh, so you have to turn around and look at the water you know embrace the emotion so that you can make the choice that you want to make right you already know what choice you want to make um, you just have to be not scared to make it right not scared to go out into the world and grab it uh, there's going to be risk with anything you do any endeavor especially when you do something that is deeply vulnerable that is representative of you as an individual, as a person, just kind of like what I'm doing here. It's a very vulnerable and it's a scary process. I get nervous every time before I come onto this podcast because um, not necessarily because I don't want to uh, be criticized in some way. It's, it's more of um, I, I don't want to be misseen, misunderstood, right? Uh, I don't want what I'm making to be um, misunderstood and then devalued. Uh, so I think that there might be something in that that you're struggling with whatever whatever your dream is. Um, maybe you're maybe you're scared of the same thing maybe you're scared of something similar of either being misunderstood or it not being received properly or maybe you have uh, fears of not being good enough to actually create it and all of these, Cards are are speaking of these three cards. We have today are are encouraging you that you do have all the tools you need to manifest whatever passion it is that you're trying to um, Whatever project you're trying to get off the ground. You have the ability to Um, And all you really need to do is be devoted and committed to yourself You know it is a self-love message be devoted and committed to yourself and That'll lead you exactly where you need to be. That'll 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 be the roadmap, you know. That'll that'll give you the, the energy to to cast your wand. <laughs> okay, so that's what I got for you today in the tarot. I hope that that was helpful for you. Um, oh, interesting. The bottom of the deck today. I'm um, sometimes I look at the bottom of the deck just to get more context. Is the same card as yesterday. It's the Four of Cups. So you might be ling- that some of that energy might be lingering today. You know, that's that's some of the energy to overcome. Okay. Don't let yourself feel down. There's things to be grateful for. Recognize the things that you're grateful for. As soon as you ne- you notice your perception shifting to negativity, um, just use that as an opportunity to identify one other thing that you're positive, that is positive, that you're proud of, that you're grateful for. Uh, it'll help balance out that energy so that you can uh, be in a receptive place, uh, especially if you're trying to channel, right? If you're trying to, take something from the 5d or the the higher realms into the, th- the 3d you're gonna need to be in a space where you can hear <laughs> you gotta trust yourself for that so all right well let's go on and move on to the topic today guys um like i said today i wanted to talk about morality or at least i think this might be one that goes on for a couple episodes we'll see i guess but um morality is a big topic you know and and it's something that i've um Like I said, my viewpoint on morality is actually kind of radical, I think, at this point. So um, I want to make sure that I explain myself properly. But to start us off, let's go ahead and try to define it, right? Let's go to Wikipedia and define morality and get that as a starting off point. Uh, Wikipedia... I hope you don't mind that there's some breaks in the podcast as I'm searching for things and stuff. I like to do that live because I feel like it, um, it makes the, it lends the show more credibility. You know, um, you can hear that I'm not doing this or preparing. And I think that that, that, that allows synchronicity to happen. <laughs> if I just went in and tried to control everything, like I was saying yesterday, and like at, 555 i'm going to do this and at this section and it's gonna be five minutes and if i do this if you do all that there's no room for the the divine to come through you know you're you're making it something you're not co-creating with them so morality from wikipedia again these are always included in the show notes if you want to look at them for yourself uh let's see morality from Latinus from latin moralitas manner character proper behavior let's define that that's why we should go to the the root word Morality, unknown. Morality. Sorry, guys. I'm trying to figure out if this has a different definition or if it is just doesn't look like it. Okay, so uh, morality is the is the differentiation of intentions. Decisions and actions between those that are distinguished as proper or right and those that are improper or wrong. Morality can be a body of standards or principles derived from a code of conduct, from a particular philosophy, religion, or culture. Or it can derive from a standard that a person believes should be universal. Morality may also be specifically synonymous with goodness or rightness. In moral philosophy, it includes meta-ethics, which studies abstract issues such as moral ontology and moral epistemology, and normative ethics, which studies more concrete systems of moral decision-making, such as deontological ethics and consequentialism. An example of normative ethical philosophy is the Golden Rule, which states one should treat others as one should like others to treat oneself. Immorality is the active opposition to morality, opposition to that which is good or right. While amorality is variously defined as an unawareness of, indifference towards, or disbelieve in any particular set of moral standards or principles. So let's go to amorality because I think that kind of fits similarly to what I'm kind of talking about, but not exactly. Amorality is an absence of indifference or indifference towards, disregard for, or incapacity for morality. So not exactly what I'm talking about. Some simply refer to it as a case of not being moral or immoral. Amoral should not be confused with immoral, which refers to an agent doing or thinking something they know or believe to be wrong. Morality and amorality in humans and other animals is a subject of dispute among scientists and philosophers. Morality is intrinsic to humanity. Then amoral human beings either do not exist or are only deficiently human. Interesting, right? Yeah. What do you do with the people that don't operate morally if moral... if you assert that morality is a fundamental human characteristic. A condition sometimes described as moral idiocy or antisocial behavior disorder. On the other hand, if morality is extrinsic to humanity, then amoral human beings can both exist and be fully human, and as such be amoral by default. Hmm. Human capabilities may be thought of as amoral, in that they can be used for either constructive or destructive purposes, i.e. for good or ill. So this is kind of where I'm getting it. It's We've taken observations from the world. You know, just like we did with the gods. We've looked at the world and we've seen that it has these, this, these, this dualistic nature. It has the capacity for order and it has the capacity for chaos. Right? Um, that within nature itself you see the balance between order and chaos you know um it, it, a, a good example is kind of looking at the difference between like a park that's man-made and then looking at like you know yosemite right um within the park that's man-made you see the order but you don't see as much of the chaos right and there's still a beauty in a park that we've made ourselves humans have made but it doesn't match even close it doesn't even come close to yosemite the Grand Canyon right and the reason for that is because we don't have the capacity yet as human beings I I don't think because maybe of morality we don't understand that relationship between chaos and order because we've defined good and bad um, we've associated kind of the destruction of things the falling apart of things um, entropy itself with something like a bad experience and negative feeling a low vibration uh, you know it's a low vibration so we associate it with bad feeling but just because something feels bad it doesn't mean it's intrinsically bad right so that as we um, noticed that nature wasn't nice we started to try to reason our way into a way that we started to try to reason a way to make it nice, to make its only order. Take the chaos away. Take the destruction away. You know, you see this in them. It's, it's still the plea and the plight of human beings everywhere. You know, get rid of the suffering. Uh, yeah. There's a, I, I was listening to Rogan the other day and they were talking about that Instagram. Uh, there's an Instagram account called nature is metal. Yeah, it's really brutal. I don't know if I'd recommend going and looking at it because I don't really like looking at it myself. It's like really intense. It's all all stuff like showing you that nature isn't this soft, nice thing. (laughs) You know, you have a lot of environmentalists or, you know, people like tree hugger types, I guess you could call it, which I guess I'm somewhat one of them. (laughs) But a lot of people that get into this kind of, um, into the spiritual world, uh, they'll, they'll tend to go really far with it where you you get this this love feeling you you tap into the feeling of love and then you you start to forget why there's anything other than that you know what I mean (laughs) so you you try to eliminate the other stuff and try to describe how, how the other stuff shouldn't be there you know or a lot of times it roots to our traumas, you know, what we've experienced in our past as children that made us feel like those things were so intrinsically bad they shouldn't exist anymore. You know, um, there's a lot of things that you could identify as that. <laughs> this world is filled with the low vibration stuff too. But it d- hasn't served us well identifying low vibration is bad and high vibration is good. Uh, it 's actually caused us in many ways to misinterpret ourselves individually at an individual level and then to misinterpret the entire entirety of existence <laughs> it 's a real big problem you know there if morality doesn 't exist at a fundamental level if it isn 't intrinsic to human beings or nature itself, if it is something that we created if it 's an idea uh then if we assume that it is a natural law and try to implement it as such, um, try to implement anything, we'll, we'll mess this whole dynamic up. You know, we'll mess the whole system up. Um, we'll infight. We'll kill each other. We'll label each other as bad things. You know, evil. <laughs> you, you know, you, you watch Star Wars. I've talked about this before. I take Star Wars. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, stories in general. Mainly because it has this hero and villain dynamic. Built into it with Luke Skywalker and Anakin Skywalker, and how Anakin, as you know, always seen as the chosen one in Episode One, Two, and then in Episode Three, you see him turn and twist based on the experience he has in the world, the low vibration experience. He's being trained in the Force. He's being trained in love and using the power of light and love to kind of as as a as a a, a protector you know as a defender and in that process um, there's something that isn't properly seated in him where he doesn't understand the necessity or the inability um, that he doesn't understand Anakin doesn't understand that because he acts rightly and because he is or feels has assigned himself the good label he believes that this would keep him from experiencing low vibration or the things that we've labeled as bad in this world because I do good I deserve to receive only good so what happens when the natural chaos of the world that's built into it just seeps into your world for a second or knocks on your doorstep one morning? Because it will, eventually. You know this intrinsically because you all, you have good and bad days. And you know on the bad days there's very little that you feel like you're in control of except for the way that you react to it. So the chaos is at your doorstep either way. Right? now by us telling ourselves and Anakin telling himself that I'm a light being I'm a light worker I am a Jedi I'm the good guy I'm the good guy made himself believe that he was somehow safe from being the bad guy couldn't be the bad guy I'm already the good guy and then in walks chaos and takes away something that he loves if I remember right, the the main bad guy—I forget what his name—is um, the senator. Dude lies to him and tells him that Padme is his wife and his pregnant wife was killed, but she was. I think he lies to her. Something happens anyway. The low vibration enters his life. The chaos enters his life, and once it does, he loses control because the idea of fairness creeps in. I've done everything right. I've been the defender, I've been the protector, I've been the light for other people. And this is what I get? Life's not fair. If you want proof of that, look at the life of Jesus. If you think you do good, you get good. Look at the life of Jesus. It's one of the biggest lessons in that story. Because you do good does not mean you get treated well. It actually means the opposite a lot of the time. Unfortunately, it's a hard pill to swallow. When you do good, when you act in a high vibration, you attract low vibration. It's, it's like a picture, you know, one of those bug zappers with the light and moths flying to the light. Zit 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 zit. zit. You know, every time it zits, you're not it doesn't feel good. <laughs> you know, that's chaos entering your life. You're still the light. It doesn't it? Doesn't keep the moths from coming around? Kind of a thing, right? So. There's this way in which you have to be a strong, open eyed thing. Something that isn't just good in the way we define good, isn't just high vibration because it leaves you weak. Something that recognizes that it is both, can be both at any time. Because Anakin didn't recognize he could be Darth Vader, he became Darth Vader. So that what you watch in the rest of the story of of Star Wars in Episode Three, Four, and Five, which is the original ones, right? Um, You see Luke, who is his son, who is, you know, the baby of Padme. You know that, who ends up surviving, and he ends up kind of coming up as another chosen one and fighting against Vader. And there's this whole, you know, huge dynamic of Luke, I am your father, and this recognition that they're attached, that the the greatest evil in the universe, as Luke sees it, is actually him, is part of him. He came from the greatest evil in the universe, and he's supposed to save it. What? How does that work? Right? And at the very end of the movie, Vader sacrifices himself to save Luke. Luke is about to die. Emperor uh, Emperor Palpatine, that's the name of the guy that that lies. Emperor Palpatine is killing him with the, the, the lightning, and Vader is laying there, and Vader can't stand to see his child. Love is what saves Luke. Vader is as far gone as he could possibly be. Anakin hasn't been a thing for years. He's been mutilated. He's been hidden You know, he's done things that he could never come back from. But still, when it came down to it, love shone through. And in the end, Anakin is the savior of that story. Luke doesn't do anything. Darth Vader is the hero of Star Wars. Darth Vader is the one that, you know, saves Luke and defeats Palpatine or enables Palpatine to be defeated, right? So, what does that mean? Well, I think it means in order for us to properly embody, um, to be what we should be, we need to understand that there's that Darth Vader and there's that Luke inside of all of us. There's Anakin and a Luke inside of all of us. The hero becomes the villain, and the villain becomes the hero. It is the hero's story, The true hero story, not the one that Disney usually shows you, right? The hero, and I guess that's not true. In most Disney stories, you'll see the hero goes through a dark night of the soul, usually. There's this, you know, every hero story has kind of this going away from themselves so that they can come back stronger, regaining the strength. The Lion King is a good example of this, right? Simba, running away, being lied to, similar to what happened to Anakin, right? Scar murders Mufasa and then lies to Simbu and says that you killed your father, run away, never come back. And so he does. He runs away from himself. He runs away from the bad thing, the negative vibration. But if he would sit in that, he'd recognize that he isn't the enemy. He wasn't the thing that killed his father. Even if he took what Scar said as true and Scar was lying, he still wasn't responsible for Mufasa's death. But he allowed the fear of being responsible for Mufasa's death to push him away, to make him into something else. And it turns him away from his true being, his true calling. You know, he turns into this kind of lazy thing, Hakuna Matata, (laughs) right? And he's supposed to be a king. And he's doing nothing but laying around eating bugs, singing, you know? That's when Nala comes in and says, hey, dude, wake the fuck up. You're a king. How does that happen how does the waking up happen through love it's powerful folks there's a lot of examples of it good and bad doesn't exist Nietzsche is the person that first that I first learned this from let me find a quote from him I guess I'm really Nietzsche is really close you must be one of the of masters around right now guys quote from Nietzsche on morality. <laughs> so the first thing that popped up. Let's just go to <laughs> Nietzsche is so harsh. You know, he just he he delivers bombs, man. This is the first one I found. Frederick Nietzsche. Morality is just a fiction used by the herd of inferior human beings to hold back the few superior men. <laughs> so uh, you know. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Nietzsche was also used, um, interpreted inappropriately and used by the Nazis as like kind of a, a justification for their, um, supermatch or their supermen idea. It was completely and utterly, um, misinterpreted. His work was not about eliminating people and stuff like that. There's some, there's some stuff that you could be, you could say is questionable. He's from like the 1820s, so he's definitely had his, his issues. You can tell that he has his biases and stuff when you listen to Nietzsche, but, um, but the point is that he's getting to—we've lost him. at Nietzsche, because the um, the Nazis used a lot of his philosophy uh, improperly to justify some of the things they did. Nietzsche got labeled as kind of this very nihilistic, negative character, in, philosophically. And, and I really, genuinely think that Nietzsche is one of the most prophetic figures we've had in history. Period. He's 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 somewhat of a Nostradamus more than a philosopher. He's predictive. He's he, he's prophetic. Um, but he says morality is just a fiction used by the herd of inferior human beings to hold back the few superior men. So in that context, he's viewing morality as a way to control people, right? And then if we view it that way, how would how would that have come to be? Well, where does morality stem from? Where where do people generally tend to look to find a moral message in the world? It's usually from religious institutions, right? in the Western world, it's, you know, the Catholic church, you know, in the modern world, it's the Catholic church. If if we had to define where morality, the modern morality mindset comes from, it comes from Catholicism, you know, from this expansion of of Christianity through the crusades and all of these things, you know, it, it took over the world. But you can see in the means through which Christianity expanded that it wasn't motivated out of love because something motivated out of love doesn't have to seize anything doesn't have to control anything right doesn't have to take anything it just does It just loves And so murdering millions of people in order to show them the light of God doesn't make any sense in that context <laughs> you know which I think most people agree on but it seems ironic that we take our morality from that institution the institution that spread itself through being immoral huh so then what is morality if the source of morality itself is immoral not amoral immoral goes against its own rules then what's the purpose of morality am I just supposed to abide by morality or is that for you too right is that for you too It doesn't seem like it. Hmm. You're fully autonomous. You. You are a point in time and space. You are a perspective. And you're completely and utterly unique. And you are uncontrollable, literally, by anything else. Except if you allow yourself to be controlled by something else the only way you can be controlled and moved around is if you allow yourself to be. I think we as human beings figured that out at some point. I think we spent a very long time figuring out how to get people to give us that control. Because we tried for so long to kind of Escape the ego, and in that, we kind of built it. You know, competed with each other, try to control each other. We labeled each other as enemies. You know, we warred with each other. We 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 made more. We we, we made moral enemies out of the other because the other made more moral enemies out of us. You know, we looked at the experience of being, you know, in a confrontation with another group or another person, and f- the feeling. Of being hurt by them or having something taken from by them that all of that low vibration excuse me that chaos we blame on them intrinsically say that we don't have the same qualities you know our group isn't doing the same thing even though you're you're fundamentally doing the exact same thing you know when you're in a war or a fight or whatever you're doing you're destroying and you're pillaging and you're you know low vibrating everywhere (laughs) right but um, because it feels bad, because we don't under we just it's that simple misunderstanding of not understanding what feels bad isn't bad inherently. Um, like there is no bad in that way. It's just a it's just a reality of a certain experience, you know. Um then it'll lead you to believe that, you know, you can, once you place that label that they did this to me, this group or this other person or this external thing did this to me, it made me feel this way. You automatically had given control to something else. How? Because of the sentence you just said, they made me feel this way. They controlled you because you said they did. You gave it away. They made me feel that way. You know, when you label the action then bad because they made me feel this way, you build a whole structure off of it, right? Don't do any of these things because they make people feel bad (laughs) and bad is bad. Do good. You can tell exactly what people are going to do then, right? here's the thing if you know that people aren't if you know like if you were the person that was developing morality when it's not one person developed it right but if you knew that morality wasn't real but you were going to develop something like a moral law philosophy you'd recognize that people were going to continue to act in low vibration ways regardless right but as soon as you apply the law that says you shouldn't do these things like take the commandments for example don't do these ten things Well, the people are still going to fundamentally do them, but now all you're doing is having them think about them. You know, it's like I said a couple episodes ago, you don't get somebody to not do something by telling them don't do it. You get somebody to not do something by explaining to them the consequences of what they do. If you do this, this will happen. Make your choice. You give the power to the individual then, and the individual makes its choice. We, because we're so terrified of low vibration period. Assume if they're given, if we, if we take away control and morality wasn't there and you gave them the choice, they would always choose the bad one. Really? Because the reason we developed morality is we didn't want to feel low vibration. So you think you're going to choose to be in low vibration all the time? If it, the reins were taken away. No, you just be whatever you are without the rules. You just be. And the funniest thing is, when you look into the world, the people that preach moral philosophy or morality outward tend to be some of the least pleasant people to be around. Because you can feel this projection happening. There's an identity and an ego that's massive. It that can be built, that is built fundamentally on the idea of morality. Here's the good things in the world. Here's the bad things in the world go do the good things, don't do the bad things, right? Okay. Well, some people recognize that they should go do more good things and then also recognize that they're never going to be able to not do bad things completely, so they just, you know, like many people do, many Christians do, you know, ask for forgiveness. You know, you're a sinner. You're you're you're, you're born with original sin, you're fallible, you're never going to be perfect, but as you make mistakes, you're forgiven already. Just ask for forgiveness, kind of a thing. Right? But then there's this other type that I think, you know, that's what, that's the message that's usually spread. But then people, because, you know, at least in Catholicism, there's this idea of confessing your sins to somebody or like sharing that. It's not done in general. It's done through prayers and internally, right? Ask for forgiveness. If you do it in Catholicism, you do it in front of a priest, but it's still, it's a personal kind of place. It's not, you don't share it with a group. You don't say, hey, this is what I'm insecure about. This is what I did yesterday, and it made me feel really bad. Has anybody else ever done that? You know, everybody raises their hand. You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> okay, I'm not alone. Yeah, all right. You know, that's the forgiveness. What you think going into a box and telling somebody, I did this really, really bad thing. How can I get something outside of me to forgive me? And he says, go say a bunch of words that we said many, 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 many times for thousands of years and do it over and over and over again and make sure you're really, really sorry inside. Say, like, okay, thank you. You're forgiven no you're not (laughs) because you still think like you're abnormal you still think that everybody else in that church hasn't done the same thing you did because you didn't have the conversation with them there was no dialogue there's this assumption that you're supposed to be good not bad so don't say the bad things people that preach to you morally it's painful to be around those kind of people and the reason is is because they're some of the biggest hypocrites in the world You can sense it. You don't have to tell somebody to do good. (laughs) And as soon as you try to tell me to do something good like that, that I should be doing something better than what I'm doing right now, it tells me everything I need to know about you. Right? I don't think that having I had this realization. I'm going kind of explain what happened. You know, I was going through um, my Dark Night of the Soul, and I I was uh, felt really alone, and I was going through this kind of panic and that loneliness feeling, you know, you know, screaming out to God, you know, begging, praying, screaming for relief from whatever I was feeling, and I finally got to a point where I was fed up, and I just said, you know, I don't believe in you anymore. I don't believe in you anymore. I'm done. I'm done praying to you. I'm done asking for help. I'm done pretending that you're listening because you never answer. And when I said that, it got so still. I noticed that I had a chaos, a certain type of chaos inside of my head for a really long time. These voices that would go around and around, was constant anxiety about whether I had done something wrong, whether I had you know, was just a fundamentally flawed person, whether I had been born wrong, you know, like and for some reason, when I said that, those fears went away. It, it quiet, the, the noise went away. And I remember laying on the bed his really vivid experience and feeling this calm and wondering what I had just done, but not panicking, not like, oh God, did I just deny God? Is God going away now? It was it was the opposite feeling. I actually, oddly enough, felt like for the first time in my life, I connected to God. By doing that, and how would that happen? It was the first time that I realized what Nietzsche talked about yesterday, that God really isn't external to you. I had been talking to God outside of myself. I had labeled myself as a morally bad thing. And because of that, I was begging that external thing, Just why did you do this to me? Why, you know, why did you move the whole world against me? Why did you make me feel this way? Why did you why would you make a thing as horrible as me? You know? And it was all an illusion based on a lie. That is morality. That is meant to keep you thinking that God is outside of you. So that you constantly give your power to something outside of you. If I make you feel insecure about the things that you think about inside of your head, by telling you you shouldn't think about those things, I take your power away from you. In order for you to be who you need to be, you need to be confident in what you are and speak whatever it is that comes into your mind. Because you are God, and that's God speaking. Every time somebody opens their mouth, it's God speaking. But when we tell people that they need to filter what happens inside of their head, that they need to control themselves and make themselves into something other than what they already are, you know, you're a sinner. You were born with this. Fix yourself. You nasty thing. How dare you try to compare yourself to something like a god? Get on your fucking knees and pray. If that doesn't sound c- control, I don't know what is. We just don't use those words, so people don't hear it that way. But that's what's happening. Get on your knees. Why would something that's you have you get on your knees for it? We've been lied to. God is real. But God's not out there. And morality does not exist. You don't have to filter and control yourself. The people in your life, the places in your life that have told you you were wrong for this or that, or that, this feeling, that feeling, that, they're wrong. Because they all feel the same way and they're liars. If there is a sin the only one I can see is lying about something like that. The most fundamental sin would be severing somebody else from God. You tell somebody they're immoral, that is exactly what you're doing. Now, you may say, Chris, look at the world. There's all these people that do horrible things. Well, you think that that's okay? Absolutely not. No. I would never want to do those things. I would never want to experience a lot of the stuff that happens to people in this world based on the ways that people take advantage of them, you know, or treat them or mistreat them. There's a lot of low vibration stuff in this world. And it's very hard because of how deeply morality is ingrained for us to not think of it as it's it's bad. It's bad. It's horrible. Yes, it is. It is. I get that. It is. Yes. It's not going to change. Not in the way that you're thinking. Go watch Nature is Metal. If you really want to prove this point to yourself. Animals aren't nice. Nature's not nice. Is nature moral? You tell me you go watch a monkey tear another monkey apart and eat it alive? And not have an ounce of emotion while it's doing it. Just crunching on like heads and, and fingers and stuff like that while it's screaming that's the kind of stuff that's on that kind of you think that that is moral apply your morality to a monkey apply your morality to anything in nature anything is a snake moral is a lion moral is a monkey moral well they call us big monkeys if the monkeys aren't then what happened to us right what we somehow think that we didn't come out of nature too We came from the same thing. Science says, evolution says, we all developed from the same point. Right? So the monkeys and the lions and all that, none of these things are moral. They don't, the moral law doesn't apply to them. But moral law is universal and applies to all of us? Doesn't make sense. <laughs> okay, so let's go fix all the human beings. That won't do shit for the bears and the lions and the tigers. They're still going to eat each other and rip each other apart. Bears will eat their own young. That's why the mama bear has to hide the cubs. Morality doesn't exist. All you have to do is look into nature and recognize you're a part of nature. You are Mother Earth. <laughs> you know, you come from the earth. So that being said, if we're not moral beings, then what are we? If our purpose here is not to make the world a better place, then what is it? To be or not to be? That's the question, right? The purpose is to be or not to be, it's the choice. The purpose is this. The purpose is newness. The purpose is love. The purpose is discovering something you never felt before. The purpose is fear and excitement and loneliness and craving and and everything. The purpose is seeing everything with clear eyes. That's experience. That's life. That's why you're here. You know, you were never brought here to f- save somebody else, or save a planet, you know. I like to think of myself that if I go really deep, you know, we'll get into this a little bit later on, but I've I, I think of myself as a starseed, it's called, which is It gets way more into the spiritual side, guys, and I haven't explained a lot of these concepts yet, but we talked about aliens in the context of angels and how I understand these ideas now, but um, we'll get into, into it at some point. But I do think that there's some people, some souls that come to spread messages, right? But in that, they're not trying to save anybody. They can't save anybody. They're just bringing something. They're seeding something. You know, they're, they're, they're enunciating a truth and then people have the ability of noticing truth it's universal truth is universal you can't deny it once you see it real truth you cannot deny nobody can it's a universal solvent so you bring the truth to people and you let them see it you don't do anything all you have to do is see the truth too and have the courage to speak it out loud Right? How do you get novel things, you know? If the way that you do it is speaking it out loud and everybody's talking really loud, everybody's talking a whole shitload, but nothing's new, <laughs> where's the novel things at? It's where you're not looking. It's in the bad stuff, the evil stuff, the shit you need to forgive yourself for that's where the secrets of the universe are hidden. (laughs) That's where the newness is. That's where the life that you desire is. It's behind the moral wall. It doesn't exist. And with that, folks, that's going to be the Unfounded Podcast for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope I did a good job of explaining my ideas on um, morality and why I don't think it exists. I'm going to listen back to it and be back here uh, I don't know about tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow's Saturday. I might come back tomorrow, or I might take a day off. Um, but the next episode, I'll go back over it a little bit and make sure that I've covered it properly. Because morality is a big topic, and it's confusing, and it's scary. Also, at a fundamental level, to try to play with the idea that morality doesn't e- morality doesn't exist. I mean, it's very scary. It may, especially if you've been raised in the tr- in, you know the Christian tradition, and it will feel like you're sinning by even playing with the idea. (laughs) And that's how you'll see how tricky it's a really tricky, really manipulative, manipulative process because it's built and designed to get you to not question it. Right? Here's morality. The only way that you can, you know, one of the, one of the fundamental ways, you know, it's a, it's the fight club thing. First rule of fight club is don't talk about fight club. (laughs) You know what I mean? something like that so first rule of moralizing is uh don't say anything that's immoral first law of moralizing is don't question morality itself what do you think you are god you're going to hell (laughs) you see (laughs) anyway that being said that seems like a good note to leave it on for some reason um (laughs) i hope you enjoyed it um everybody and i hope you're doing well out there um it's really really nice to be back on here and and getting some episodes continuously popped out so um lots of love everybody and uh go out there and live your best life okay don't be afraid of the world morality keeps you afraid in a way don't be afraid of the world live your life you don't need to control yourself you are in the way we define good you're good already just by being. Bye-bye.